Hello, welcome to this special edition of MLEX's podcast. We're leaping into your feed a bit earlier this week to have a chat about our new special report, which is now at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com, ready for you to download and enjoy. My name is James Paniki. I'm MLEX's Asia-Pacific Senior Editor. I'm also the co-author of this special report, which focuses on the implementation of criminal cartel legislation in Australia and the development of criminal cartel offences in New Zealand. And we'll be crossing to Sydney to talk to the other co-author of this special report, Laurel Henning, in just a few minutes' time. The context of this is that the implementation of the criminal cartel offences in Australia has granted us a glimpse into how the transition from civil to criminal can be managed, the possible pitfalls for investigators, as well as the courtroom tactics that may be used by defence lawyers. As a result, we hope this report will resonate with readers in other jurisdictions as well. In 2009, the government adopted criminal cartel offences 100 years after previous experiments had ended in failure. The law was then embraced by Australia's current competition laws, the 2010 Competition and Consumer Act. The law includes maximum sentences of 10 years jail per offence and penalties of up to 420,000 Australian dollars per offence. That's around 300,000 US. For companies, there are fines of up to 10 million Australian dollars per offence or 10% of a company's annual turnover. Australia's competition regulator, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, or ACCC, was very eager to have these new offences at its disposal because of the deterrence they may offer. The problem, though, is that the ACCC has found criminal cartel investigations quite challenging, and unless it can successfully prosecute the five cases it has in front of it, that deterrence value is lost. Laurel Henning, MLEX's senior reporter, joins us now from Sydney. Laurel, uh, walk us through some of the cases you've been following and what some of the take-home themes may be. So there are three main cases that I've been focusing on over the past couple of years that we've written about in our special report, James. Chronologically, the first involves Norwegian shipping line WWO. It's the third shipping line to be prosecuted in Australia in a series of prosecutions against companies involved in an international shipping cartel. Japanese shipping lines K-Line and NYK have already faced fines here. WWO's case is now entering its final stages in the federal court in Sydney and has really been a chance for the ACCC to test out the criminal cartel law it has at its disposal with a wealth of evidentiary resources from similar probes in China, the EU and US. Now, I'd say the case I've spent most of my time covering when it comes to criminal cartels is the ANZ banking cartel. It revolves around a 2015 Australian and New Zealand banking group share placement for which the bank employed Citigroup Global Markets Australia, Deutsche Bank and JP Morgan as its underwriters. The ins and outs of the share placement and the ACCC's criminal cartel allegations are detailed in our special report, but the case has been notable for shining a light on the early operations of the ACCC's criminal cartel unit. So in drawn-out local court cross-examination hearings that we've attended, we've heard about an ACCC investigator destroying his notebooks from the time of this investigation. We've heard of another ACCC official disagreeing with a JP Morgan immunity witness over his recollections of the ANZ share placement and alleged cartel conduct. 
And finally, we've heard a first hint of something that would be pertinent to our international listeners, that there is the potential for the bank's legal teams to rely on exemptions relating to joint ventures in their defence when this proceeds to the federal court. The local court hearings for the ANZ case have been so dragged out in part because of the confidentiality claims that have delayed document access for the defence teams. And those claims of legal privilege that we've heard in that case have also started to cause problems in the third case that I've focused on in our special report, allegations of attempted criminal cartel conduct by Australia's leading construction and mining union. The case is at a very early stage at the Canberra Magistrates Court, but these confidentiality claims are starting to appear and are delaying the case's progress. And James, these issues would probably sound familiar to the ones you've been following. Yes, in fact, I think the issues that are emerging in the cases that you're following are very much feeding into mine and vice versa. Mm. I mean, the first one, which you know about, uh, is the um, is in fact the first criminal cartel prosecution involving an Australian company since the infamous Coal Vend case in 1910. So that was 100 years ago. Uh, and it centres on a company called Country Care, which is based in a small country uh, town called Mildura, which is 700 kilometres northwest of Melbourne. So more than a day's drive, I'd say. Depends on how you drive, I suppose. Um, now, there are two clusters of charges. One is uh, cartel-related. The second is about bid rigging, so the you know, par for the course in terms of our coverage of, of antitrust issues. The case has just made it through to the federal court, although with delays caused by COVID, the trial won't get underway until the first half of 2021. And as we record this podcast on August the 31st, Melbourne is still in a COVID lockdown, so everything has been shut down and court timetables has been have been affected uh, accordingly. It's been an interesting thing to watch um, how uh, I suppose both defence lawyers and prosecutors are feeling their way around uh, this new legislation. First up, there has been a lot of pressure on the immunity deal offered to the uh, two participants in the alleged cartel. The defence has already argued that you know, immunised witnesses can't be trusted because they'll say anything to get themselves out of trouble. This is an interesting theme uh, for other prosecutions as well. Uh, and it's also a theme that may well create some problems for federal prosecutors. I mean, the ACCC has already said that it's reviewing the way in which it manages these immunity arrangements. The other interesting note is that a contract at the centre of the alleged cartel has been revealed in court to have been drafted by a law firm. Now, this raises the issue of whether the legal advice provided to the company uh, and, and also to the two men who are facing individual charges, whether or not this legal uh, advice was up to scratch. Now, the joint venture defence has also been mentioned. You've talked about that already. That's certainly going to play out in this case as well. Uh, and the court has also pondered how best to manage a jury in the sense that this will be the first time that a jury gets to hear an antitrust case uh, in Australia. Um, uh, these cases are extremely complex. Will the detail be too much for the jury to take on board? To what extent should the jury be directed by the judge? These are all matters that have come up uh, and will continue, no doubt, to be raised right through until the trial itself. Another case that um, I've been working on is, in fact, a foreign exchange case involving a Sydney-based company called Vina Money Exchange. It's a company serving Sydney's uh, Vietnamese community. It's interesting because uh, it has seen the involvement of the Australian Federal Police, uh, and there are allegations that the three members of the alleged cartel were told to agree on the exchange rate between the Australian dollar and the Vietnamese dong by a Vietnam-based commercial bank called Sacombank. 
So there's this interesting international dimension to the prosecution. It's unclear how this might play out in court. Uh, There haven't been any charges laid, no extradition requests, but the issue of foreign influence and foreign interference is bubbling away in the background. And that case is still very much in in a lower court in Melbourne. Um, It's in its preliminary stages. It might take some time for it to emerge from that and to uh, get to the federal court. And so this brings us to the final part of our special report, our review of New Zealand's new criminal cartel offences, which won't come into effect until 2021, but have been hotly contested already. Yes, we've been following this as a policy development. So we followed the bill through different parliamentary debates. The opposition Labour Party made a criminal cartel laws a campaign promise ahead of the 2017 election. When it gained government as part of a coalition, um, a coalition government, it pushed ahead with the agenda. The fear had been that these laws would have a chilling effect on New Zealand industry, that um, that companies wanting to work together as part of a, a legal joint venture or some kind of a legal agreement would ultimately choose not to do so out of fear of ending up in jail. Uh, and that uh, there is also a sense that in such a small economy to have these kind of powers, it's just uh, in a way over the top. It's just too much that, uh, that there aren't going to be those kind of criminal cartels in existence in New Zealand. But ultimately, the opposition uh, supported the bill. It went through Parliament. Uh, it, there was this proviso, though, that there would be a very long transition period to give industry the chance to get its collective head around these new rules. Another concern, of course, is that although these offences do equip the New Zealand Commerce Commission, which is the regulator, uh, with uh, the tools it needs to join international criminal investigations, the law may in fact lead to smaller, um, you know, mum and dad businesses that don't have legal advice on tap, they don't have in-house counsel. It might lead to those kinds of businesses getting caught up in criminal cartel behaviour. Absolutely. I mean, in the two cases we've already followed in New Zealand, or recent sort of price-fixing anti-competitive cases that we followed, um, that's been... That's been a main point. In the first case, which was against a real estate investment company, we heard the the company in question, which was Renovation, was unaware that what it was doing was illegal, even though it was deliberately anti-competitive. And then in a ruling on a second case that we followed, which involved a pharmacy chain, um, this was seen as a sort of political protest gone wrong, if you will. So um, while there was price fixing clearly involved in the case, the judge ruled that the political aspect outweighed any harm done by the anti-competitive behaviour. And our special report contains all of the detail you may require. So if anyone needs to drill down on any of these stories, there's plenty of information there. We'll hope you'll find it a compelling and coherent narrative. We can only hope. Thank you so much for your work on this, Laurel. It's been great fun. Thanks, James. Laurel Henning is MLEX's senior reporter in Sydney. And a reminder that the special report can be downloaded free of charge from the MLEX website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. You'll find a link to the report right there on our front page. And a big thanks to Ben O'Neill in London for putting it all together. Thanks also to our editor in Hong Kong, David Plott, for his support, and to our colleague Marissa Lagu in Perth. In Melbourne, I'm James Panicki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor. Thank you so much for your company. I'll be back with you in just a few days for our regular MLEX podcast. See you then. Bye for now. Bye for now.